Hello and welcome, as always, to Is This Anime? I'm your anime expert, Jack Metcalf. And I'm the guy who doesn't know anything about anime, Malcolm Cloud. And joining us, it is the first time this has ever happened. We have a... Is this what you call a duo show? Because, you, Malcolm, you and me are already a duo. So is this... But it's a duo guest show. I don't know what the phrasing is. Either way, we have two guests. Not just one, but two guests. Um, Lizzie Boys and Alexandra Cole, both returning. Yay! Woo! We out here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We out this here. Is, uh, <laughs> we, we always wanted to do a duo show, um, and we finally got to do it. And it's for, it's, I mean, I think we even teased it on the Perfect Blue episode because, yeah, Alex, you were kind of the inspiration when you had dropped that uh, Lizzie had also watched Perfect Blue with you. And it was just like, oh, my God, we can we have two guests who watch the same movie. We can both make them watch the, the next movie in our uh, Satoshi Kone retrospective or whatever i guess you would call this force more satoshi cone into their eyes for sure yes we we've kind of teased it i think subsequently um you guys probably will do the next two satoshi cone films uh i would assume so honestly since we're already halfway there because he's not he didn't do many um because he died uh which is very unfortunate rest in peace didn't know that oh yeah i guess you went there for the history segment lizzie um You weren't there for the history segment on Perfect Blue. You you, you watched the movie, but you were not there for the history segment. Yeah, we only had one guest. <laughs> yeah. Um. So the just just a recap. If you are for whatever reason, um, you chose to listen to this episode instead of the Perfect Blue. Uh, Satoshi Kone. I don't have my history segment out loud, so I'm just going by memory. Uh, Satoshi Kone, fantastic animator. Uh, short-lived career. Passed away unfortunately of cancer at the age of 45. Uh, he only did four feature films, or directed four feature films. He had obviously worked as an animator on previous works. Uh, he also did a TV series, uh, or or an anime series called uh, Paranoia Agent, which is 13 episodes. So maybe maybe we'll even get around to that uh, someday. Um, but we're talking Millennium Actress, his, his follow-up to the widely successful Perfect Blue. And uh, are you folks ready to get into the history section? So ready. Yes. So ready. ready. Yeah, I got really lucky. Um, I didn't just use Wikipedia for this or just a couple websites. I actually found a really good 40-minute documentary on YouTube um, called The Making of Millennium Actress that I think all you listeners should watch. Uh, it's really good. It only has 3,000 views for, for some reason. Development on Millennium Actress began in 1998. Cohn originally intended to adapt the 1993 novel Paprika, but the project stalled when the distribution company for Perfect Blue went bankrupt. And Lizzie, um, Paprika is a is a film that he eventually would make. It, it became his final feature that Christopher Nolan uh, definitely saw. <laughs> and was inspired by. Inspired by and, <laughs> you know, more than inspired by if you look at some of the shots when we do eventually cover Paprika. <laughs> oh, mm. boy. Um, uh, I should say one thing before I forget. I did state in the perfect blue episode that uh aronofsky had purchased the rights to perfect blue but that is in fact a myth uh he did not he it was maybe a conversation he had but it never ended up happening so darren aronofsky uh gets even less credit for for, for what he so did he just with stole that. shots he's like i like these shots i'm just gonna do them wasn't the bathtub scene shot for shot though like what the heck yeah. is going on it was he just he just took it he just took it Darren. and he's like I Darren. like it, and and yeah, Darren. <laughs> and the less said about Bad Black boy, Swan, Darren. let's not even talk about Black Swan, which is the same movie. 
Yeah, That's yeah. Perfect I remember blue. I remember um when Alex and I were watching Perfect Blue, we kept talking about the the parallels between them. Mm-hmm. For sure, between yeah. Perfect Blue and and uh, Black Swan. Mm-hmm. And and guess what? Perfect Blue is a better movie. I'll straight up say that. Can we can we say that? Yes, that's not controversial. <laughs> that's not controversial. I you're saying it as if you're like, I'm. They're gonna riot against me if they if if I say it. So like, they're gonna riot. It's like, no. We if you go back to the episode that we did on it, I think we all agree that 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 Black Swan isn't as good as Perfect Blue. I like Black Swan, but Perfect Blue. Uh, also, you know what? I just love how Cone makes movies that are ninety minutes, not even. Like brevity is the source of wit, oh. as they say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He, but to be fair, not... they are two different movies with different merits. I'm trying to be Switzerland here. Sorry, guys. <laughs> all, all good, Alex. All good. You had to defend Christopher Nolan the last episode. It's a job. It's a job. Anyways, so unfort he wanted to make uh, Paprika in uh, he wanted to make Paprika in 1998, but the project stalled when the distribution company for Perfect Blue went bankrupt. And producer Taro Maki approached Cone and said he wanted to make a film like Perfect Blue. And Cone asked Taro what he meant by that. And the word that popped into Taro's mind was stereogram. And if, if you want to know the meaning behind that, he said a stereogram has many different looks depending on the angle you're looking at it. And the movie didn't have to be a suspense film, but it needed to have that stereogram aspect. Mm-hmm. And Cone, Cone regards these two films as sister films with them being two different interpretations of the same concept. I think now that you say that, it does make a lot of sense. Like, obviously, they're both kind of dealing with, like, uh, fame and, like, stardom, uh, but in, like, very different ways. You obviously, in Perfect Blue, you have someone kind of being driven into, like, insanity, uh, mm. whereas in this one, it's more of, like, this reflection of, like, a life lived. Like, I was, I was almost thinking mm. of it, like, it's, like, a uh, life in rules, like, one of those, like, you know, old, you know, actor by, you know, autobiographies where they, you know, they're just kind of talking about like how all the, you know, these different parts they did in these movies kind of reflected different parts of their own lives at the time. So uh, yeah, it kind of makes sense. Uh, I mean, and also there is that like, not necessarily insanity part, but you obviously, you know, her, uh, our our millennium actress, whose name escapes me right now. Gioko. 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 Yeah, Gioko. you know, she is in some ways, though, kind of, you know, she's trying to find this, like, faceless man, this painter that, you know, she's in love with, uh, which is kind of, you know, I guess has similar notes to, like, Perfect Blue, but it's different in that it's, like, way more endearing mm-hmm. in Millennium Actress, and it's not this, like, it's, like, a love story, sure. and it's, like, a very positive way of viewing it, but, like, in Perfect Blue, it's, like, oh, like, I'm losing my mind, <laughs> So. Oh, if I'm losing my mind. Whoops, yeah. daisies. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. I would with say you. that. Yeah, with the with the most tact. But yeah, um, yeah, no, we'd agree with you, Malcolm. Yeah, it's a it's definitely a dissection um, of being an actor and of being an industry, just in two completely different ways. Yeah. One is more of a warning, and one is more of a kind of a, a why, like a backstory into somebody's yeah. life. Yeah. That's for sure. So Cone, he came up with a couple early concepts, uh, a science fiction story with a boy hero, a senile old lady in a costume play. But screenwriter Sadayuki Murai ultimately chose to settle the film around an actress so that they could use film history to depict different eras of Japanese history. I mean, that's what I love about this film, obviously. You know, as a film fan, um, 
I'm not so much an expert in Japanese film history, although I've been watching a lot of uh, Japanese films lately on the Criterion Channel uh, streaming app, which is really awesome. But, you know, that's what appealed obviously to me because as someone who likes movies i certainly i certainly gravitated to one particular character uh whose uh, enthusiasm of film uh definitely was similar to my own you know what i mean so yeah this is like yeah. a total love letter and uh, this film just makes me happy it makes me happy <laughs> millennium actress makes me happy yeah it's a it's a fucking positive i remember texting you like years ago alex when i first watched it. i'm like you need to watch this and it is really good. So, Mirai, he said in Chiyoko's own life, the heaviness of the entire history of Japan is added to her own life. Pre-World War II, Japan was a very prosperous time, which fits with young Chiyoko's poetic energy. World War II was a time of struggle, which matches with the struggles of Chiyoko's adolescence. And then post-war Japan is a time of optimism, which again overlaps with Chiyoko's adult life, he felt. So... Let's get into uh, how this film did. It premiered at the Fantasia Film Festival in Montreal in July 2001, with its official Japanese release being in September of 2002. It won a number of awards, including Best Animated Feature and Fantasia Groundbreaker at Fantasia Fest, where it actually tied with Studio Ghibli's Spirited Away for the grand prize at the Japan Agency of Cultural Affairs Media Arts Festival. That was a mouthful, but it's basically the Japanese Oscars. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it tied, it tied with Spirited Away. Yeah. Wait, so this so, movie and Spirited Away came out at the same time? Yeah, around the same time. Spirited Away would end up winning the Oscar in 2003 for Best Animated Feature. Um, but that's because its American distribution was earlier than uh, Millennium Actress. So it's all, again, when, you, when you're dealing with foreign films, especially foreign anime films, which in 2000, <laughs> the early 2000s were definitely not making much money. Uh, not to the extent now. Um, now we live in a world where uh, the Demon Slayer movie, um, which I just watched, and I don't even think we're going to cover on the podcast because I don't think Malcolm's going to have an opinion on it. <laughs> um, but that ended up like time with Mortal Kombat um, in like April when it came to U.S. box office. Wow, with Mortal Kombat, the Mortal Kombat movie, which is I'm not sure if I would call it a good movie, but I had fun watching it because I like mm-hmm. to see people get murdered in fun ways. In fun ways. Jack Mortal Hawks. Kombat is fun. Mortal Kombat is like has fun violence. Like it's like obviously like so over the top that it's not like a horror movie. It's more. A- I'm not a horror person per se, but I like action violence. So if like someone's like head gets mm. chopped off, but it's in an action context, I'm just like, you know, I'm fine with that. Yeah, I guess it's that thing. It's like there's a bit of a tournament thing where you kind of go like these people are asking for it. Like they're getting into the ring and they're prepared to die. Like that's that's what I. That's how I, I distill Mortal Kombat into it's. It's about it's two people getting into the ring and, I, and one of them is dying. <laughs> so if if you're fight if you're shooting fireballs out of your hands and you're fighting a snake man, you got you know what you're getting into. Like you you've, you've kind of signed your life away with that. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, anyways. Um, so yeah, I tied with Spirited Away. Um, but the thing is, like back then, yeah, these movies weren't making a ton of money. Spirited Away had like a big distribution by Disney, but it was a flop. Uh, this ended up being distributed by Universal, but ended up only making something like $40,000 in the U.S. And it was submitted to the Academy Awards for consideration for Best Animated Feature in 2003, but it was not nominated, with the winner for that year being <laughs> Finding Nemo. Jeez, okay, what was nominated? What the fuck was nominated? Uh, <laughs> like, seriously. Uh, best Animated like, I- like I feel like uh, I'm about I'm yeah I'm about to lose my mind a little bit because this is great like this movie is really great and like 
I don't know. I mean, yeah, I get it. Like, Finding Nemo was also very good at the time. But, like, there's got to be, like, some movies that we look at and you go, like, that was nominated? Like, and not this? Like, I don't know. Yeah, there was just a different, like, uh, culture when it came to media consumption back then in North America, right? So, I mean, oh. back then we would have totally thought that was, like, yeah, that makes sense. Finding Nemo won. The, uh, the nominees yeah. for that year, for two th- so Spirited Away wins the Oscar in 2002. Um, Shrek being the first winner, and uh, I'm not going to bash Shrek. Shrek. The first Shrek is a great movie. I'm I'm not okay. going to um, do that. Um, so yeah, it's Spirited just Away. Such a meme. It's such a meme that I can't help but be like Spirited Away. Oh, and Shrek. Well, you can't take it seriously. <laughs> listen, listen. Yeah. In two thousand, here's the movies that were that Shrek competed against in two thousand one: Jimmy Neutron, Boy Genius, and Monsters Inc. And Monsters Inc. is a nice movie. There was but... a Jimmy Neutron movie. I don't even remember that. It's it started oh off with a movie. God. It started off with a movie. What? what? Oscar nominated Jimmy Neutron <laughs> Boy Genius. First, first <laughs> it was yeah. part of the... there was only three nominees, like as well. You just list, you just said three names. Yeah, there were. It were like, depends well, on the year. The sometimes, sometimes there's more so, nominees. So what? Okay, yeah. what year was would a Millennium Actress been nominated, and what was what was in the category? So 2003 was it was submitted for the 2003 Oscars. It loses. Finding Nemo wins. Brother Bear and the Triplets of Belleville are the other two nominees. Brother Bear? Brother um, Bear? What the fuck are we doing? Like, what the fuck? Brother Bear? Like, who even remembers that movie? Like, I guys, remember Brother Bear. Movie. <laughs> guys, Brother sure. Bear? Listen, the, the Oscar nominees in general are just... I'm I'm going Did through you know, them right now. Did you also say Shark Tales? Was that, what Shark Tales about- nominated in 2004. Thank God. Listen, brother, come brother bear. Like, I'm so upset. Um, <laughs> they're like, they're like, I guess we have to give it to brother bear. Like, if you, you guys know. could see Malcolm right now, <laughs> you look at the poster um, for that movie and it looks like a horror movie. Like I, so like, brother bear. I think it stars Joaquin Phoenix. Brother, Joaquin Phoenix did what? an animated. Fe- That's the Brother Bear <laughs> poster. Yeah, he like, plays the Brother Bear. Wikipedia. Well, Sorry, does that and, uh, actually wa- look like a horror movie. It genuinely does. Yeah, the poster. Yeah, the post. Nature calls. Poster- Saturday, November first. That's not a great. The, the Wikipedia poster is not flattering. Well, I hope nature doesn't call me because that's terrifying. <laughs> uh, I guess guys, I, know, the- I know. I see why they got it got nominated. They scared the voters into giving. Oh. Them <laughs> also, it's three. You just also just listed three movies. So was it back in like the two thousands where like yeah, it's well, only three. I movies. guess it's well, it's only but it's three. Weird. But it's weird because in two thousand two, there's five movies. So in two thousand one yeah. and two thousand three, and then subsequent years, it's only three, and then it goes back. Comes back to five and two. It's kind of just. They it's very inconsistent. It. It, like they could have nominated it. Like that's the crazy part about it. Is like it could have had a nomination, and they were like, you know what? We got Brother Bear. Yeah. We got Finding Nemo. <laughs> we got the other one that you mentioned. We're good. Like it didn't even get a vote. Like I'm sure like they really third... just sat the two movies on the scales and were like, Millennium Actress, uh, Brother Bear. Listen, oh, those yeah. scales have tipped. I bet you. <laughs> if, if one Academy like member had just voted and was like, yeah, I think Millennium Actress deserved the nomination, probably could have gotten it. <laughs> like they probably could have gotten it. it. 
Oh, that's Listen, the Academy so <laughs> The poor, what, the producers to Brother Bear listen to this and they're like, "Fuck you guys." That, yeah, he worked hard <laughs> that on that movie. Really good. Hey, hey, I liked Brother Bear. You know okay. what? Gonna uh, be honest, I did too. I think I'm gonna watch. I don't, I don't know, but I enjoyed I, it when I, I was like, a child. Listen, Brother Bear probably decent. Uh, it's not better than what we just watched. That's Brother true. Bear has Brother Bear has a good cast. It's got Greg Proops, Michael Clark Duncan, um, Gre- Greg Proops and- is, is what you're like. That guy kills it. The guy from whose line is it anyway? Let's yeah. sound Rick, Rick Moranis yeah. and Dave Thomas play a, a comedic Canadian moose duo. I think it's one of Rick Moranis' last roles. <laughs> um, oh my goodness. Although Rick uh, Moranis, I should note, is also on the Epstein flight log. So, you know, let's not uh, give him too much credit. Oh, my yeah. God. Was, sorry to say that. Sorry to break it to you guys. I love that on, on today's <laughs> podcast, we are actually covering Brother Bear. Thank you for coming and listening. We've, we've, talked, we've talked more about Brother Bear than we've talked about Millennium Actress. <laughs> so let's yes. let's go back. Let's talk about the actual movie yeah. that people are here for. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah. Um, but again, like, oh, I think so I just want to something- say I want to clear up something before... I don't hate Greg Probst. He's fine. I'm just, I'm just like when you were saying like, oh, the, look at this stacked cast, and you said his name. It took me by surprise in that moment. I gotta it, just gonna say that right now. Um, moving on, moving on. Um, where well, are you're we? gonna Let's say about... like, man, I love the work of Jeremy Saraz. <laughs> like that's what I don't even know who that is. <laughs> Anyway. You don't know Jeremy Saraz? Jeremy Saraz, What's he's Coda in Brother Bear. Yeah, what else on, is he doing? Yeah. Star of Oscar nominated <laughs> Brother Bear. Poor Jesus. Jack. I have weird tears <laughs> in my eyes right now. Poor Jack is trying to get so hard back to Millennium Actress. <laughs> and we're just not allowing this. This is a Brother Bear podcast. Thank yeah. you. This, this, this is our, this is our April Fool's episode. Where, this is our April Fool's episode airing in like October. Mm-hmm. Um, you've been trolled. This is our new Millennium uh, Oscars uh, discussion episode. Yeah, yeah. tune in yeah. next um, week where I go on a 45 minute rant about Brother Bear 2 straight to yeah. DVD. <laughs> so, I think so I anyway. own that. <laughs> Wait, actually? Are you fucking serious? I couldn't even yeah. hawk that movie at a fucking uh, garage sale if I wanted to right now. <laughs> uh, but Alex so, has a- Do you want to buy it? <laughs> <laughs> Poor Jack. You, you'd have to pay. You'd have to pay me just to give it to me. That's <laughs> Jack um, currently has sweat pouring down his face. He's attempting to get back to this movie so desperately. Yeah. Let's let him. Let's let All him. Right, I'm gonna let. Um, I, 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 I want to bring it back though to the point though, which is again that you know I think we've talked about this in our podcast about how the Oscars, um, they're, they're uh, the the Academy of what's the word the the way they nominate animated features is just kind of bullshit and lazy uh i think honestly like any i think if we look at pretty much any year we could probably find a a japanese or a foreign film that is worthy of being in that canon as opposed to whatever dreamworks crap uh, there is i mean i know like the oscar has given uh the award to a lot of good animated features like into the spider-verse is obviously a fantastic film um i'm I'm going to bet money. I would say the Mitchells versus the machines is going to win uh, the Oscar next year. Cause that movie is really good. I really enjoyed it. Um, but again, it, it's, it, they definitely obviously have a bias to their own people. It's Hollywood people nominating their friends and you know, they're, they're going to, they're going to give it to the guys who could potentially give them work. If you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Like obvious, obviously like, you know, 
I you think gotta, you gotta get, make sure you get that brother bear credit on your IMDb. Listen, I'm, I'm, I am yeah. having having watched Demon Slayer the movie. Um, I can safely say it does not need to be nominated for best animated feature. Although Dragon Ball Super Broly should have been nominated because that movie fucking awesome. Uh, <laughs> Heck yeah! It's kind of, to tune in when we uh, tune in in five years when we finally get to Dragon Ball Super Malcolm. We will finally get to that. Uh, but anyways, let's talk about Millennium Actors. So this this film opens up with a pretty obvious homage. Um, I'm gonna quiz you guys. What what is the what is the homage for the opening uh, scene? Let's let's Alex. quiz your film history. <laughs> Alex, help! Oh my God, no, no, no! Don't put me on the spot. What, like really? I, I figured at least Malcolm would know. It's pretty obvious. No. 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 Okay. Is Malcolm not allowed now, to participate? It's not. I'm gonna be honest. I'm gonna be straight up. It's not. I'm. The images aren't coming to my head of what the it's opening scene is. It's 2001. Space Odyssey. It's 2001. Like obviously. Yeah. That, I knew. I wanted for the record. I did know that. I didn't. I was just wanting to see. <laughs> you just if wanted to make Alex and Alex suffer. Um, yeah, don't make us suffer. Don't make us. Well, I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to make you suffer. <laughs> I, feel like that, I think Mal, I think Malcolm was just interested. No, no, no. I, think I really think Malcolm's just full of shit and he had no idea. I see you, Malcolm. Maybe. We'll never Call know. Out. I'm still stewing over Brother Bear. Going. Yeah, so it opens up with this obvious homage um, to, to 2001 A Space Odyssey with, with who we later find out is our Millennium actress, uh, Chiyoko. She's, she's in, you know, a rocket ship hurling towards the moon, I think. I didn't clarify which planet that was, but, you know, she, she's in a rocket ship. Well, and this scene is beautifully animated. And later... Well, in later like parts of the movie, when you kind of go back to that space movie, it looks like there's mm. like snow on on the planet. So I was like, could be the moon. I initially thought it was the moon, but I was mm. like, oh, it might be like a planet with some snow on it. I no, she mm. she did go to the moon, and then uh, it's just oh. that um that time space overlap between her time oh, okay. Hokkaido and the moon. That's all. Yeah, it is. that I, makes that makes mm -hmm. the most sense. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and then in the final scene when she's just shooting off into space, uh, the one that uh, connects to the beginning mm -hmm. sequence of when she's shooting off into space is just space that she's going into because it's a uh, symbolism for going into heaven or whatever the next yeah. life, right? Mm -hmm. Wherever yeah. it may be, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, no specific planet. Yeah, I do. I did just like the visual of like snow on the moon. I was like, oh, that's a pretty. That's like a visual I never really would have thought of before. Mm -hmm. But to see it, it was like, oh, that's kind of beautiful. Mm -hmm. This this film is just a visual delight. I mean, it's it goes without saying that Satoshi Kon is obviously is was obviously a master of his craft, and like the shots of her. So so we have this like opening shot of you know um, the rocket ship launching, and then it kind of cuts back to. Oh yeah, we 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 discover that she's we discover that this is a movie. So we're we're not watching a space film. We are watching someone watching a movie and it's uh it's uh it's our hero. Very much in Satoshi Kon style. <laughs> Very much. We have so many of those cuts. I was writing them down on my phone. Uh so many perfect blue. That's that was the thing that really like uh was reminiscent of Perfect Blue where you know Alex and I we were talking about how in that film, you question, you know, your sanity because of just, you know, the blending of reality and film. And uh, this film does that, too. Um, again, just in a more positive context where instead of being like, oh, what the fuck? You're more like, oh, that's nice. Yeah, it's a little less mind fuckery and it's, it's still peppered with mind fuckery, but it's just like, oh, OK, no, I understand that we are going from film 
to uh, reality. And then sometimes that line might be a bit blurred, but it's always beautiful symbolism, mm-hmm. I find. The purpose is more towards symbolism and just uh, it, like creating more layers in a story rather than uh, confusing and terrifying you. <laughs> find out that this space film is being watched by, uh, I guess, I mean, our protagonist is Chiyoko, but then we have, you know, Genya Tachibana, who is kind of our, kind of our audience surrogate, and he's crying uh, watching it. And Gen- that man cries Genya, a lot. He cries a lot. He is all of us. Genya just loves the movies. He just loves the movies, man. And, uh, and we love I love him. him. Mm-hmm. I love him so much. Uh, I, I guess <laughs> I've already revealed crying. to my. Jack's I guess I've. <laughs> I guess I've already um, found my low-key reveal to my speed wagon is for this movie because yeah, Gen- yeah, Genya is just such a great character. I love his passion. I just and you know he's I, we're kind of jumping around and we're we are going to jump around. I think just for the sake of this discussion, I it's better that we talk more about themes than necessarily just linear plot progression, anyways. But yeah, th- this movie doesn't have like the most traditional linear plot, obviously based on like yeah. how it's presented. So there's no real reason to be like, we got to go beat for beat because yeah, let's not go beat for beat. Let's just kind of talk how we feel. And there's lots of feelings in this movie. There are there are lots lots of fifis, lots of fifis. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. um, what was I saying? No, again, like I I can relate to Genya in a lot of ways. I'm a person who, you know, uh, again, I'm I I just turned thirty. I I'm still pursuing the arts. I'm not sure that you know the thing I wanted to do when I'm twenty is necessarily going to be the path that I want it to be. So you know, sometimes you have to kind of figure out how do you stay. You know, you know. I know I I'm getting like very 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 upfront about my own uh, existential crisis right now. But you know, he is a guy who you know wanted to be a director and. Now he's kind of more of a television interviewer, but he's still pursuing what he loves. And, you know, I relate to that. I mean, you know, I'm not necessarily doing, I still audition for things, but I'm not necessarily, you know, in the big leagues. I'm still connected through um, my social media job. Um, but, you know, I, I relate to that a lot. I, I Genya is definitely uh, me. I felt a lot of Genya in this. I feel a lot of Genya in you, Jack. Thank you. <laughs> no, he's he's just such a great character because he is a you know he is a guy. There's pl- there's there's more Genyas than there are Leonardo DiCaprios. I'll tell you that, guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, Meaning so true. Yeah, it's just there's people who you know they they have their passions and they don't necessarily reach those highs, but they still are doing what they love. And again, he's getting to interview this actress uh, whom he has great admiration for. So oh, I just like find the whole Genya great admiration beyond. Uh, yeah, Which, but going like going back to the Leonardo DiCaprio versus Genya thing, there's almost like there's almost um, more uh, admiration for Genya. You know, he didn't get exactly what he wanted, but he's still mm-hmm. doing what he wants with his life and and going for it and um, living his life passionately. And uh, we love we love Genya for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Screw Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> and especially the director in this film, and especially the director that Chiyoko uh, marries. Oh yeah. Oh my oh. god. Yeah. What He's a great awesome. human being. Yeah. <laughs> Am I right? With this tiny little purple drink. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, you remember him holding that? <laughs> tiny little purple cocktail. And Alex was, and it was like the middle of like a serious scene, and Alex goes, "Tiny purple drink." <laughs> He's like divesting <laughs> his love to her, and I'm like tiny purple drink. Uh, yeah, that was that was a distracting little tiny purple drink because I like I don't even know what kind of cocktail that could have been. Like it looked like he was just sipping on cough syrup, like just like I did, yeah. 
he he's wants got his a purple kind of high. Yeah, That's what yeah. maybe they they were into lean before lean was lean. Yeah. <laughs> All right, the original. I've never had lean. You. I don't. Okay, well, let's. All I know with lean is that you can gain a lot of weight on it very quickly. Wait, really? Yeah, because it's just like a lot of like soda and like the codeine. Apparently, like you add, it just like makes you keep on weight. So that's why, like, when you see rappers who like, oh, they lost a bunch of weight, it's usually because they're like, they, they stopped leaned off the lean. lean. Yeah, they leaned off the and lean, and they became lean. And they did. That was a beautiful high five. Please like, keep yes. that in, Seth. Yeah, please. Oh yeah, they just high fived. It was great. Earlier in the podcast, they also fist bumped. <laughs> and you guys didn't hear it. Yeah, in a visual. Yeah, we're an audio experience, but it was a visual delight. <laughs> <laughs> what, anyway. what were you talking about? I was I was talking about my love of Genya, but again, so this this whole yeah. movie is 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 framed through um, Genya interviewing this legendary actress Chiyoko, and. Oh man, get get Genya's uh cameraman who who's just who's just there for the ride. Oh my god. Yoji, yep. Yeah. Yep. A real man, real G. I love that guy because I this the movie is so serious. And he would just throw out the the most random reactions that were so authentic, making fun of his boss a little bit, but not meanly. I was, mm. each time he would do something, Alex would have to hear me go, yeah, <laughs> there we go. There's some comedic relief. <laughs> I love him. He's great, man. He, and again, he's just, he's just here for the job. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I mean, he, it's clear like for Kyoji that he's like, yeah, it's just a paycheck, but he's also, you know, kind of gets sucked into like his boss's enthusiasm as it like goes along, like it's, and you know, obviously very clear initially, it's just like, yeah, and why you're so obsessed with this actress? She's like, hasn't done anything in 30 years. Like, you know, we're just kind of filming this thing for your TV show or whatever, or whatever he does now, uh, Genya does. But yeah, I like that now it's, you know, as it goes along, it's like, oh, like this is, you know, bigger. It's kind of like, I feel like if you were to like have a conversation with someone like Quentin Tarantino and he starts talking about some random, like, exploitation movie in the 70s and by the end of the conversation you're going like man i gotta watch all the works of this guy and like that who you've never heard of before mm-hmm. yeah so yeah the the purpose of this whole thing is uh basically genya is trying to discover why Ch- chiyoko uh retired from acting um and so he brings to her this like key and that's how we kind of the story's kind of told and we see uh through through this story and it melds with I think I think what what I like about this yeah. is that the idea of instead of like just like oh we're just hearing her talk like I like that like um, Genya and Kyoji just like yeah are like end up in in the stories and yeah. in the stories that she's telling um, and that they are like sometimes obviously Genya is like a character in it but Kyoji clearly remains just himself the entire time. And I just kind yeah. of appreciated that, that. He's just like, I'm just here to watch. Like, I'm learning. Like, it's not like he's, like, jumping in as, like, oh, I'm now the assistant to Genya's character or whatnot. It's just, no, yeah. he's us. He's the audience. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. That's why I feel like, it, that's why I was saying he's such a relief, you know, when things get really serious. There, he's mm-hmm. he's a little bit of that uh, relief. But I thought it was so creative, the way they put uh, Genya and um, Kyoji together in, uh, in the sequences. Yeah. Uh, to- to remind us what was happening too, I think. The best part, I thought one of the best parts of the movie was at the beginning when um, they're, they're acting out a scene together 
And um, oh man. Oh, and it cuts back. I think I know what you're talking about. And then it cuts just to like reality. Riding horses. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. Yeah, I, I, I love that moment where it cuts back to the reality and you see what, what it actually looks like. Exactly. Uh, yeah. 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 You're like, oh yeah, you can't show this like in terms of like in this interview. <laughs> like if it was you were just watching what they were doing. But, oh yeah, they, yeah. They, they, they. When you see you know, like the world they've created, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, the, the 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 actual cameras are not capturing all these beautiful images. Uh, it's it. This isn't like an Inception recording or something. <laughs> um, that's that's something to tease for Paprika. Um, but no. So the the other thing too is the the shots of um, Chioko running. I was I watched this in the documentary. So they actually shot like an actual actress like running through Tokyo, um, and they use that as reference footage because Cone really did want to capture that effect of just. Uh, person running uh, which was actually a bit unusual at least for the animators who worked on this most of the time they were just used to drawing on their own experience but they weren't really using a lot of reference material and this wasn't uh rotoscoped either uh in in the documentary they they say some people assume that was rotoscoped and rotoscoping is when you're kind of tracing over the image um if have you ever watched the film a scanner darkly I've, either of you no i have it's a good movie it's a good movie um that that uses rotoscoping techniques um and some other animated features use rotoscoping, but no, this was all just reference material. I would just like to say, and I know that Lizzie will agree, whichever actress they hired to run through the streets of Tokyo had terrible balance. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what was going on. You, I don't you, know if you, they were like doing special street cleaning in the middle of winter, so all the sidewalks were frozen, and this woman I was slipping all over the God. place. Was this the Vancouver Black Ice Apocalypse of 2018? I don't know what this was, but this woman was falling, man. If, you, you, <laughs> you can judge. Falling, but like straight, stumbling every moment she could. The key out of her hand, her on the floor. This, <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I was saying to Alex at the end when I was starting to get really sad about the movie because it was just sad. She just wasn't finding this dude. And yeah. then, so I just need to make myself laugh. I was like, damn, this bitch keeps falling. <laughs> she just keeps going down. <laughs> she does stumble a, a lot. Like, I, I now that you bring it up, I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I now that you bring it up. Because, like, she was definitely, when she was running the streets of Tokyo, she was not, like, they, there's no water anywhere. There's no reason why she was slipping. Like, there, it's not like she was, like, in mud and going, oh, no, like, I'm losing my balance. It's like, no, you're on, like, concrete. <laughs> You're sometimes just not it makes sense, but sometimes it did it. Like yeah. as someone like who seems to have been someone. running since she was like a kid, you know, she's been running since she was a kid. And someone who does her own stunts, running in these movies, we never once see her like slipperily or like fall in like you know in the sequences in the movies. But in real life, why can you not run? I just that just it, reminded me that the first one of the first uh, shots or something is her as a track yeah. star as a kid, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's gotta. Oh, okay, that's gotta be a reference for her journey yeah. through life. Interesting. Yeah. So, but it, wanted... but doesn't explain why she became a big stumbler later on. But... Yeah. <laughs> a well, big stumbler. <laughs> if if you want to watch the uh, running footage, you can in that documentary. Literally, just look up. The, I like how the documentary on YouTube is just straight up the making of Millennium Actress. The uh, the person who posted it did not bother to hide it or uh, make it sneaky like some other. Um, people do with non-copyrighted yeah. I, I, I guess, guess at this also... point are there i guess at this point there's no like 
no one's really going to be like, oh no, I've got to, you know, we got to copyright claim it. Like, I don't know who's yeah. going to be upset and, with it. It's and, like, I'll be honest. Like I watched this movie on uh, the Shout Factory like website. So for those who don't know, Shout Factory is just like a DVD distributor. Like they're one of those ones that like, they, you know, they're kind of like, oh, when we do DVDs of like older movies and TV shows, they're the ones who tend to release it. Uh, and yeah, they just have the the whole dubbed version of this on the, online for free. <laughs> like, so I feel like wow, okay. it's kind of at this point where like uh, Kono's passed away and it's sort of like, oh, we'll just like, let's try to let as many people watch these movies as they can. Instead of being yeah. like, no, hide it. I feel like people, like studios mm. and stuff kind of give up probably within five years where they're just like, fuck it, let's leave it on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. And also, I guess this is specifically a DVD bonus extra, so it's even less valuable to the distributors. Uh, okay. Yeah. 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 What they probably now- also have on the DVD bonus extra is the time when Chioko gets an inner ear infection and it impacts her sense of balance for the rest of her life. <laughs> Maybe. I, get, I, I just don't think it like flowed with the rest of the movie. So they just like, like that yeah. scene isn't to be in there. So you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna leave it without an explanation. <laughs> bonus material. <laughs> I guess, like, um, I don't know if, because uh, we, we've all acted on, like, yeah, on film. Like, have you, have any of you been, like, asked to run on camera? Because I oh, guess yeah. there is, like, I a God, little bit I of, like, I haven't. an intimidating element to it. I haven't been asked yet, but I also feel like, man, it's not going to look great <laughs> when I do. Um, I, yeah, no, I've done it, and um, I had to do it in massive Doc Martin boots, so I was slow as hell, and I and my only thought was, guys, I swear to God, I'm actually faster than this. And <laughs> it's 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 take after take. It's not it's not funky. It's not fresh. I've done different runs on uh, different sets, and it's been fun. My favorite one has been when the camera was tracking right in front of us, so the camera had to run backwards, and that ma- required us to run really really slowly but make it look like we were running but make it look like we were running really fast in my brain of that there was a lot of jiggling up and down in one spot let me tell you yeah oh yeah oh yeah good times anyway <laughs> uh Let's let's get to the meat of the story though, because basically Chiyoko's whole um kind of life her her life story really begins with her um meeting this painter who who's been on the run and she she ends up saving his life um because he's uh oh so this isn't even during World War II. I'm looking this up on Wikipedia. This was during the the Sino Jap Oh wait, no. Oh, this was oh this was during World War II, yeah. but this is specifically during the world the war between Japan and China. Yeah, that makes sense because like I guess the other thing is like this movie came out in two thousand one, so you're going like oh yeah. like you know like there's definitely elements for me where I'm like oh it's got to be like have been uh, been released recently, but you're like oh no this movie's already twenty years old. Oh, uh, that's that's gross. That's gross. But that's nothing, gross. Nothing. <laughs> that's gross. My uh, my my it literally friend... premiered at Fantasia Fest, uh, you know, twenty years ago, like last month, <laughs> essentially. Listen. Damn. So, anyways, this this man, uh, this painter, um, who she's basically saved, she falls in love with, and he has this uh quote where he's talking about his painting, and it's it's this uh white landscape painting, and he says, "In that vast white landscape, it feels like you're in some faraway world," and that because. 
course, becomes, you know, this recurring thing uh, that we're going to see in the end of the movie. Don't worry. I'm just looking at my hair to see how it's drying. So you can. <laughs> no worries. Yeah. Uh, Malcolm, what do you want to talk about the painter and his whole story? Let's. I'm going to give it to you. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest, like, I kind of knew, like, right from, like, the moment the painters introduced him, like, oh, he died during the war. Like, I felt like oh, that sure. was yeah. a pretty obvious thing that happened. Uh, I do, you know, kind of appreciate um, that, uh, you know, that she held out hope for him the whole time. Like, there was definitely this moment of, like, oh, maybe, like, he will have seen a movie. But, like, you know, at the same time, it's like, you don't see his face. He's always kind of in the distance, like especially in that, like the shot we talked about a little earlier at the in the moon, like when she's on the moon, mm. we, you know, she gets to the, uh, you know, the painting that's been left by the painter and you see him even further in the distance, like kind of walking and, you, you know, kind of looking back at her. I'm just like, oh, yeah, that's like, you know, the big symbol of her realizing he's gone and like obviously the big, you know, takeaway, the last line was like, you know, how she was kind of more in love with the, you know, searching for him that maybe she was in love with him himself. Like mm -hmm. there was this, there's a bit of like the romanticization. Yeah. That's a word. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, that of just like the chase and being like, oh, like this purity and maybe it's, you know, kind of this remembering the youth. Like that's, I feel like it was like a holding on to youth for her was like mm -hmm. this man or this guy or this teen or whoever, you know, Absolutely. Uh, just like, yeah, that's yeah, that's, had such an impact on his life or her yeah. life. God damn it. And like the, the, the fact that that becomes her whole reason for becoming an actress where she's just really just trying to find this guy. And, you know. I mean, I, um, just to put a whole blanket statement on it, um, Alex had to deal with a lot of me getting really frustrated about it. <laughs> I, I didn't, I, I thought, I mean, it's a beautiful story. It is. Um, but I, the whole time, I just, this is, oh, I'm going to sound like such a dick, but I was like, get therapy. Yeah. Stop. Don't, this man nope. is not your life. Don't, yep. you can, you have better things to do than, and then chasing after a shadow your whole entire life. I, the, for one of the first things I said within the first, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes was, oh my God, what a horrible existence. Because that is just um, chasing after something. And then it's just, it's, but it, it, it's, of course it has to represent something else. And then the last line really tied it all together for me, though. I was like, oh, okay, 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 okay. It actually isn't about him. It's about the journey itself. Yeah. Because I was like, why? Don't. This isn't, no. And when he was walking away in the painting, that was a beautiful shot. I thought it was, like, beautifully drawn or animated, um, of him walking away in the snow. And she's like, come back. And then she goes down, and I thought she was going to be like, goodbye. And she goes like, I'll find you. After everything, I literally went, what the hell? <laughs> Enough. It just, just stop. It's been an hour and 15 minutes of this, this shit. And for you, it's been 30 years. Like, stop yeah. it. I also, yes. I did like that they had this scene with like her talking to, I think it was her mother or maybe the older actress. I don't remember um, mm. where, where that, you know, that older woman was just like, you know, you're not a child anymore. Like, you know, go and like, 
kind of move on. Like I do appreciate like that scene existed in this movie because there was definitely yeah. a moment where I was like, oh, is everyone just going to be like just allowing her to do this? And like maybe that's, you know, a commentary on like, you know, the unfeathered celebrityisms or whatever, like in terms of like people get too famous and then they just are surrounded by yes people. Right. Um, you know, but in this case, I was just like, I appreciated that honesty of just like, you can't keep trying to search for this person that you don't even know who they are. You know, you don't know if they still think about you the way that you think about them. And like, mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of like grow up a bit. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and I was just like, daddy issues. Yeah, the whole time. <laughs> daddy issues. Cause you, you can't forget <laughs> the fact that um, her dad died when she was a really, really, really like, I'm pretty sure that she was just getting born in an earthquake. Mm -hmm. And that's when her dad died. Yeah. Yeah, as far as I can remember, her dad died when she was born. So, I mean, chasing after this shadow of a man all her life. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. Hello, ring, ring. Daddy issues. <laughs> Let's go to therapy <laughs> ring, today. I, oh, daddy issues. As, as, as someone who's, who's watched all of uh, Satoshi Kon's work, and I've also read his, uh, his manga, um, I can safely say every single uh, lead character in his films needs to go to therapy and in his works. Every single lead character in his works... Uh, needs to go to therapy if you're a satoshi yeah. Kone character you're i mean listen we have even if and when we get to paranoia agent oh my god i i think paranoia agent is uh the the other work of his that definitely rivals if not um even uh go goes further than perfect blue when it comes to messed up characters who are completely broken oh good yeah no yeah. we love that i mean it's yeah. all like it's all really important great lessons i just hope that there aren't some young young lassies who watched that millennium actress and was like, I'm going to follow this man for the rest of my life. No. And I think that final line sums it up pretty well, too. And I think it also shows that she was always aware of that. It, it was always more about the journey than, than her actually accomplishing yeah, and that. Yeah, and I didn't, I honestly, I didn't realize that until the end. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's just, it's something that kept her passionate her entire life, yeah. that uh, kept her, you know, excited, gave her purpose and stuff like that. This whole thing of not settling yeah. and pursuing something just kept her young and alive. Yeah. You know, yeah. So and I think she didn't want to let that go. Kind of, I think we can all kind of relate to that. I think every one of us has um, those kind of things that, that just kind of keep us going, whether it's achievable or not or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and mm -hmm. yeah, no, but my image is like, it's what if she had met him and he was just yeah. a dipshit? What would she do? What would you do? Well, yeah, yeah, that's the she risk comes, of it, right? Like, imagine yeah. if he just shows up and is like, hey, like, I'm back. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> he's a, he's, I'm he's hiding, a, like, just I'm back. Yeah, he's a, like, he's that's a like, it could have been uh, a scenario, like, he's like a been. massive alcoholic and like a, a, a murderer or something. And she's like, <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, man of my dream! Yeah. Oh my goodness, here's your king. But he, he's like, What's but that he, for? I mean, he could have been fundamentally broken from the war, like, it's you know, obviously, the you know, we find out, yeah. that he was tortured to death, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. it's like if he had survived that, like, you know, and he's already, you know, as an artist, like, there could have been this like broken element to him that, you know, could have been very dangerous. But at yeah, the yeah. same time, like, there's this idealistic version of the guy that we all really know, which is, like, even when he's being tortured to death, you know, we find out he didn't say anything, like, you know, that he's, like, this kind of anti-war guy, you know. Um, yeah, he has, and he has all these, like, really youthful ideals that I guess 
you know, for her to hold on to that so she can like go through life. Like, cause like really when she like decides to give up on him is also when she gives up on the career. Right. Cause she mm. goes into hiding for 30 years before, you know, we actually meet her. Like this is like, I guess that big interview because obviously she hasn't granted an interview really, I guess in those 30 years. Mm-hmm. So it's that look back, the retrospective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing that she gets through it with uh, Genya's help because he seems to have dementia or Alzheimer's or something like that. Mm. I believe her maid comments on that. And uh, she herself comments on it like, you know, like I, because I, uh, at one point she gets tired of the interview a little bit and Genya's like, oh, like we can pick it up another day, like we can stop or whatever. She's like, no, I have to keep going. Like I have to finish this in a way that makes you think like, oh, she must be suffering from some kind of um, dementia or Alzheimer's or some memory illness. And I do believe at one point she goes, I won't remember this tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah I guess I did. I, I do remember that. Yeah, because I get, oh, man, that actually makes it even more interesting when you, like, think about, like, her, like, you know, I guess with people with dementia, they're always kind of trapped in the past. And for her to, like, then have her memories be mixed between, like, real life in the movies she was in, oh, man, that's, hmm. that's actually really... Let, I didn't really really think about all that until just this mm-hmm. moment. Let, mm-hmm. Let's uh, that's a that's a good transition, Malcolm. Let's talk about the movies because the the movies that this uh, film covers are just so so delightful. I love the um. I've been watching a lot of uh, Kurosawa stuff. Like I was watching Throne of Blood, I think like two weeks ago. So I noticed one of the references with the uh, the witch, uh, like the Oracle witch who's uh talking to her in that uh, samurai movie she's in. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. the witch kind of comes back multiple times like even like when she's on set at the very end when she gets like the earthquake happens and all the debris falls on her and genya saves her which i didn't clue in on until like right at the end where i was like oh i didn't realize genya had worked on that sci-fi movie that he was at one point you know a pa or whatnot mm-hmm. i think did i get that yeah, wrong it- yeah, well, that's that's the big twist at the end. That's what you realize um, why why Genya is such a part of this whole story. Because yeah, he did um, rescue her during uh, an incident when she was working on that sci-fi film. At at one point, I thought it was going to turn into Genya is the guy with the key. I'm not going to lie. At the end there, because she said you're always here to save me, I thought maybe, but then that that faded pretty quick. But that would have been cool. Mm-hmm. That would have been cool. I'm glad it's not. Yeah, because of course, obviously, the message of the film would have been completely different, and you know, yeah. it would have been almost too obvious and saturated. Also, I think like Ganya is a little too young. Like again, yeah, he is. is like, he's he's like, like mm-hmm. probably oh, twenty true. years younger, 10, 20 yeah. years younger than her. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, 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 yeah. When he was a PA, he's clearly in his like early twenties, and now you know, yeah, thirty years later, he's clearly in his like mid to late fifties. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and she's in her like 70s. you know seventies. So yeah, like yeah, wouldn't have made sense. I for me, I almost was like, oh, would it, would the twist have been like? I thought for a second of like, oh, is he like related to the painter? Like it's like on oh, the painter's son or something like mm-hmm. that. It was like who's always you know told this story about this actress, uh, and then he's the only one who clues in that it's her and not someone else. But I also just kind of like that he's unrelated that way. Like he's not related in that love story. Yeah. He's just kind he's- of related because he like held he had this key that she lost. Uh, and yeah. she didn't seem to want to have back, which is the other thing. Because, like, before when, like, the key goes missing, she obviously, like, there's that scene 
where he she discovers that her like uh douchebag director husband has hidden the key that she thought was lost like he actually stole it and just like hit it so she would like marry him uh and i liked you know after she loses the key in that earthquake that she was just like that's when she left that's like when her she stopped pursuing acting and all that yeah i guess for me the i guess we're talking about the movies because like obviously there's also like the samurai movie that's happens and like i don't know there's also uh, the train sequence was kind of really trippy because I wasn't sure what, like, what was real and what was not in that train sequence where they get trapped. Yeah, I was like, is yeah. that a movie? Because, but then they're like, there's people attacking them, but they look like they may not be from modern times, so they look like they're like. Well, it's so I I understood this, and there's actually a newspaper article. So she's in um, Manchuria, um, basically, and she's shooting a movie there just to just to give some context. And you see a newspaper article that says mass roundups in Manchuria. So they're on this bus in Manchuria. And at first it looks like I, I, I was observant of it. It looks like those are they're like, it's like, um, I wouldn't call them bandits, but like rebels. I, I don't know my Manchuria history. I'm sorry, folks. Uh, attacking. You should, yeah. Jack. Come on, Jack. I know. I don't know anything, I, but you should. <laughs> I should. I, you know what? I chose to watch the documentary on this movie instead of reading up about Manchuria. Anyways, um, so it looks like those are like rebels or or something. Uh, please forgive me for my lack of knowledge about this. But then it, of course, transitions to um, basically Throne of Blood. I think it's clear, having watched Throne of B- Blood recently, I think it's uh, very much riffing on the classic Akira Kurosawa film, Throne of Blood, especially with like the Oracle Lady, which is from that. Uh, so it's kind of transitioning into a riff on that movie. Also, you should watch Throne of Blood since I've mentioned it like five times. It's a ri- it's one of the best Kurosawa movies. Right. So so Throne Throne of Blood is Akira Kurosawa's riff on uh, Macbeth. It's a uh, Macbeth in uh, feudal Japan. So that's all you need to know. Very cool. That's actually that sounds sick. Yeah, that's all you need to know about the film. Yeah. And just be- speaking of the Oracle Lady, I'm curious yeah. to know what your guys's uh, interpretation of her was cuz I have my theory, but I want to know your theories. I was trying to figure it out and then in my attempts to figure it out, I didn't come to a solid answer. So I want to hear Alex who has a more concrete idea. So uh, no, but I think both Alex and I think that it is Kyoko herself and okay. potentially her mother. We at the beginning we were thinking more her mom, and then I started to go to more more towards it's her older self. No, I I think you were thinking that it was her mom. I never thought it was her mom. Oh, I roped you into that. Oops. Well, bumpsy days. <laughs> I, I I like all those ideas. Mm-hmm. I mean, Oracle would make Oracle. It would be her future self being the Oracle. I think that would make sense because obviously it's an Oracle who therefore knows the future. So that would, yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. She she just saw herself as like a a, a spinster uh, old woman who is uh, cursing and is cursed. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, like she's basically cursed herself into this life of the chase, which she loves. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, so she hates herself for it. Like she says, like, I, I hate you more than anything or whatever. But then she also loves the chase. So she's like, and I also love you more than anything. So I think it's her speaking to herself. Yeah. I had the same thought too, where I thought it was like her older self, like something like in her nineties or a hundred, you know, maybe she was like over a hundred at that point. And it's like her recognizing that she's like losing her like youthfulness. And like, it's that reminder of like, Oh, the youth is slipping away, which just means that like this dream man, the painter is also slipping away from her. 
Like your entire life has slipped away in this chase. And this is like what time will do to you. Yeah. That you're now Mm -hmm. at a point where you're reflecting back on things you've done instead of looking forward to the things you're about to do. Mm -hmm. That's, that's brilliant. And then, and then uh, thankfully uh, she gets rescued by Genya and Genya's in full samurai garb. But at one point, and I wrote this line down, uh, uh, Kyoji, Kyoji corrects uh, Genya. He's like, um, your costume is from the wrong era, isn't it? Oh, that's such a good line. That's such a good line. And Genya doesn't give a fuck. Oh, he doesn't give a fuck, man. He's just like, I'm in the movies. And I agree. And uh, even in the uh, documentary, they talk about it. They're like, you know, there's, there's liberties they take with history. But, you know, it doesn't matter. This, this movie uses dream logic anyways. It's yeah. It's more about a representation of things, I think, than a actual concrete reality. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but him him busting in and rescuing uh, Chioko, and then Chioko even gets her own transformation moment. Like, oh my god, I love those so much, and that's where like my my face was just like filled with joy watching that. Like she like kind of like turns into like a warrior princess, and then also a ninja. Like, listen, I I just like this kind of stuff. It's such a visual feast. Oh yeah, like as someone who like likes those types of anime and films just on their own, I was like, okay, I'm just enjoying this. This is just joy. And there was a, yeah, we got to see her do a lot of cool things, riding into battle with, and um, and then also her as a young ninja. That fight sequence was cool, actually. Mm-hmm, with Aiko, that was really cool. Yeah, yeah. Aiko's an interesting, interesting lassie, mm-hmm. isn't she? Mm-hmm. The older, yeah. the older actress. First of all. I know I have heard that voice actor before for Aiko. Um, you um, may have. That is Laura Post, who if you look up her um, IMDb or Wikipedia, IMDb? she's been in a million things. Her voice is absolutely beautiful and so powerful. Yeah. I she's love been a number listening of, to her. She's been in a number of shows we've covered. Uh, just a, a lot. I mean, she... <laughs> It's it. We we don't have time. Uh, she's been on the Great Pretender, uh, Malcolm. She's been on uh, Sword Art Online. She's she's in the, a Pokemon uh, mobile game. She's oh, she plays uh, Catherine in Fire Emblem Three Houses, and uh, Catherine is a character who I really like and and have a crush on. So she's awesome. She voices lots of yeah, cool characters. A crush on. The the no, only listen, thing is, don't know guys, anything you just said outside of the like Great Pretender. I was like, geez. I don't know any of these. Yeah, listen, she's uh, she voices cool characters. She clearly gets her. She's been around a long time. She gets her pick of badass ladies. Hell yeah. Um, so, yeah, she does a ton of video game voiceover, does a lot of anime. Um, Laura Post, awesome actress, which is why she gets to play literally a good actress in the uh, in the uh, movie. I think that's guys, that's guys, why guys, they guys. did what? Um, Alex just Googled it and turns out she was in Full Metal Alchemist. And that's how I know her. Okay. Mm-hmm. Who is she playing that? That's a good question. Ah, Ooh, we're I'm just taking it. Google the power of Google. I think she plays um I think she plays the their trainers. The trainer. Um oh, she was in uh, Full Metal Alchemist, the movie. Just kidding. Okay. Conqueror of Shambhala. All right. Okay. Anyway. I have not seen that. Anyways, Laura Post, great voice actress. She she's clearly uh, an all-star. Yeah, which is again uh, is cool. We were like, talking about uh, actually Shoko Shoko Otsuda, who was a Japanese uh, voiceover okay. actress. Yeah. So yeah, we have the samurai um, sequence, and then it transitions to like kind of like a post-apocalyptic thing. 
Um, is that, Jack, is that the sequence where she, um, I could be totally off here, where she's searching through the rubble of her home, and then, no, no, it's not, th- is it? I think that's what it is, that's, or at least that's how okay, I remember yeah, yeah, it. yeah, and then she finds the painting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, but that was, that was real life. That was, uh, uh her oh. finding, yeah, that was, uh, I was, her searching uh, through the rubble of her town after it was bombed in World War II. Oh, I was confused when Genya mentioned a sci-fi film, so... Yeah, it connected to that film, but then it uh, went back to real life. <laughs> Yay, Satoshi Kone. What, and then it went back to re- it's a typical Satoshi Kone. Listen, when we do Tokyo Godfathers, we're just going to be relieved because we'll be like, oh, now we actually know what we're talking about. Hold on, a linear story that doesn't divert into any other space or time sequences um, or anything like that? What? There, there, there's some flashbacks, <laughs> but as but as far as uh, Kone work goes, it's his uh, most... <laughs> It's his most linear and family friendly. It's a great movie. Nice, cool. Nice. I wonder and why also- he enjoys that so much. I'm, and not that he shouldn't or anything. Like it's cool. Well, it definitely and his, grabs your attention. And his manga work is super meta too. Like he did a manga yeah. that's about a manga artist um, who dives into his own unfinished manga. <laughs> I own. I own. That's it. very it's very meta. Like, and again, that's his. Early, so you know, again, he was really. Um, just he really liked those themes and that's kind of what he uh, iterated on throughout his career you have to be so smart to be able to pull that off correctly mm-hmm. as a yeah. director yeah yeah you have to be so smart mm-hmm. and he does i will say he does pull it off <laughs> like this isn't yeah. like a guy where we're going like well, this was a mess like it's like no like it's very clear that you're sort of like on like the ride he's you know he's built for you and you're not yeah. You know, there's no like diverging or like no getting off. It's like, no, you're going to see what he wants you to see. And like, that's that. Which is mm-hmm. something that it like so reminds me of Nolan as well. Again. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like Nolan will make a decision and whether or not it's a, the right decision, you know, is up for debate. I'm looking at you, Tenant, and your terrible <laughs> sound design. Hey, shush about Tenant. I love it. <laughs> I, I like Tenant as like a movie. I hated the fact that there were multiple scenes where you're like, no, they're just at it. They're eating dinner, and I can't hear them talk because the music's so fucking loud. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I'm like, you know. Um, so I, like that. Whereas like you know, I loved like uh, Dunkirk. I recently rewatched Dunkirk, and oh, like that like movie, it. I think doesn't get enough credit. For the fact that like it really does a great job of portraying the like absolute hopelessness of the situation that those soldiers are in because you like i think that's the thing of like you forget like in world war ii like all these soldiers were like 22 like 21 mm-hmm. like maybe maybe the oldest were like 30 and you're like oh man that's a lot to like handle when you're like you know you don't even know what you want to do with your life you know? yeah yeah um and so, like, to have that, but, like, to portray it of, like, oh, like, you could just die on this beach in a foreign land is, you know, it's pretty gripping. So, uh, but then there's other moments where you're just like, yeah, well, I wish I kind of knew a character instead of, you know, instead of everyone being, like, kind of a faceless thing. But, I don't know. A faceless, no like, plot guide, yeah. Yeah. So, I, I, where do we, I, and because this is Satoshi Ko, now I'm kind of confused where we are. Like, I think we already pretty much talked about the relationship with uh, Chiyoko and the director, unless you guys want to get more into that. Are there any more thoughts other than that? He is a bad man. And I'm just glad he didn't Harvey Weinstein her. Like, you know, he was just like a I'm just, regu- yeah, regular, regular bad man instead thing. of a Weinstein guy. 
so that's my thing is I don't have too much against the director because he was just okay yeah he maybe was slightly creepy to her at yeah. the beginning because she was like a teenager and he was just like mm. so they found me an actress and we I were know. like what oh was that opening line? Like, yeah. yeah and well, then also... we never actually saw or like um, heard about him doing anything to her or taking advantage of her in any way and then the next thing that we know they're in his mansion or villa when they're older and he's saying that he like fell in love with her I, I mean, to be fair, he mm. did trick her and lie yeah, to her. That's, mm-hmm. that's and never where I gave call her him a bad chance. man. Okay, true, true, true. Chance to make her own decision. True, 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 true. But he isn't, like, heinously predatory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's yeah, not. Like, well, he's, like, he's the, you know, they establish him as also being, like, I think he's the signer, the nephew of the, the, the son guy of the director, yeah. Of the director, like, someone who's a higher up. So there is a little mm-hmm. bit of that, like, entitlement that that, that kid feels at the beginning it's weird to call him that kid but he's kind of a kid in the first scene yeah and then yeah it kind of like you know permeates as the you know as the movie goes along where it's like you know now he becomes a director and like you know obviously he's got his sights on like marrying the you know the star actress and you know i think it's just like yeah i mean luckily he's not doing any like weinstein business but he's also you know probably you know after her more for status than it is anything else. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Doesn't actually love her very much. Mm-hmm. He was probably more in love with that purple drink. I so. was just gonna say. I was just gonna he, say. And we don't we don't drink. even we don't see him on Did her, he ever uh, hold her deathbed either. The way so he held that purple drink. Did, so we so he's not with her on her deathbed either. So I don't know if they had already divorced or something, or if he had died. I believe so. mm-hmm. Probably divorced. I, I kind of I, interpreted. I I interpreted that scene where she finds the key and like he hid the key as sort of the moment where it's like, no, I'm leaving you now. Like you lied okay. to me. This I is like so, deception. Yeah. I've never. And then and her also realizing, oh, I've never really been in love with you. I'm kind of mm-hmm. doing this to appease a lot of people in my life that aren't myself. Because, mm-hmm. you know, and that's why she leaves. Because, like, yeah, there's that other actress that kind of comes in as sort of this, like, you know, I, you know, oh, I was, you know, playing the part of, like, your foil. But really, you know, I, I was just playing a part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a little confused by that moment. But I kind of got the general theme of just, like, no, that's the end of the marriage. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Because he also doesn't try to fight for like the marriage. Like he's just like, yeah, you caught me, and then like, yeah, no, 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 no. he's just like hitting the back of his head with like a rolled up like magazine or something like that. He's like, mm, yeah, that was me. I did that bad thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did I'm an like, oopsie. <laughs> I did an oopsie. This marriage oh. is built on a lie. Oopsie. <laughs> Whoops. And then, but then, um, Iko, that's that's her name. Yes. Um or Aiko, she um her yeah. her jealousy monologue. Ooh, damn, that was that's um that was pretty that was pretty fucked, but well done. That's too. some real actor shit right there. Yeah, 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 yeah. The older uh, actors. Uh, so before we move that. away from, I guess the the other big moment is uh the moment with the uh the guy who um was the one who who captured the artist and he tries to atone for it too. So he's he's blind in one eye and he tries he tries to confess this to Chioko, but ultimately she doesn't completely find out. Uh but he tells he tells Genya this. God, that was that was that was 
tough to hear. Mm-hmm. And then Kenya yeah. uh, just, uh, or sorry, I think his his assistant just goes, so she wasn't chasing anyone. And Kenya's like, yeah, she was just chasing a shadow. Mm-hmm. That's, that was depressing. But also, as we said, kind of predictable. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really liked the, I mean, I know obviously the the uh, the former officer isn't a great person, but I did find that uh, attempt at redemption pretty beautiful. And obviously you also see oh, that, you know, yeah. the, the fact that he looks like shit too also makes it feel like he got some karmic justice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, just the, the genuine apology of I am feel sick for what I've done mm-hmm. and then just on his knees sobbing. That was a really beautiful scene. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought. Yeah. Yeah. character arc. I mean, I appreciate yeah. that like he was he was honest in that, like he was just like, Yeah, you know, I'm just young and I was just, you know, kind of blinded by like just following the authority above me. I wasn't thinking about what I was doing and like I was just doing it because I was told to do it. And I feel like that's like a good like I don't know, it feels like a good not necessarily it's you know, it's almost more than a metaphor of just like, yeah, people who are like in these positions of power who, you know, are just blindly doing what they're told. And then, you know, they're not thinking about consequences and like, Oh, what happens afterwards? Yeah. They're conditioned just by whatever regime that they're a part of. Right. Yeah. I wonder if he went to therapy. Is he the only Satoshi Kone character that went to therapy? therapy. I, Maybe so. he did. <laughs> I absolutely think, I think that's correct. I think he's gone to theraply and I think probably it. Cause like, why else is he really atoning? <laughs> that's oh yeah that's uh making amends it's one of the first things they tell you good stuff good stuff so, um yeah, yeah. That, I, I think that yeah. sequence is beautiful and you know it leads us to the big reveal and of course you know then there's a sequence at the end where you know she's on that rocket ship and she desperately you know wants to go to what's obviously implied to be the afterlife that was brutal man that was a brutal, mm. brutal one. Sad, but also one of the most beautiful parts of the movie, I think. When she's, um, when, oh my goodness, I know I said this already, but when she's on the, on the death, on her deathbed and, uh, yeah, he was like, yeah, I, I swear you'll find him, uh, in your next chapter. And she was like, maybe, I don't know if it really matters. I was like, finally, <laughs> finally. No, it doesn't. <laughs> and uh, and, and uh, I, yeah. Also, uh, yeah. I think I just got another thought. Uh, sorry for interrupting, but I also think this film also avoids another really obvious trope because they co- totally could have done the trope where she does reunite with him in heaven and we like see them embrace, and it doesn't do that. Like I think this film is really tactful in how it doesn't mm-hmm. make the the obvious Saturn choices. Again, it Good obviously point, is yeah. still yeah. It's still a very beautiful film and it hits you in the feels and those t- all the right ways but it doesn't go for the most obvious one you know what i mean yeah mm-hmm. i was glad they didn't do that too i was pretty relieved yeah like i i think there yeah it kind of gives you like i think also a sadder ending would have been if she just survived and then she just like has to live now with the key again and she's this old woman with dementia uh and yeah i also kind of agree that like it cuz i feel like that would have been almost like a studio ghibli uh move would be like them reuniting in heaven at the very end like just being like oh you know she's like on you know on the spaceship and maybe he's you know on some planet and then they meet 
Uh, and I was just like, no, it's all again about the journey. I feel like that's like a sports thing. It's like, it's all about the journey, man. <laughs> when anyone like wins a championship or like does something big in their lives, it's like, it's all about the journey. And so, and in this case, it really is that where, yeah. where it's just like, oh yeah, no, it's, it's like, what's next for her? Like in the afterlife, what does that mean? Like he doesn't try to answer any of those questions. It just sort of like, you know, she's ready to do whatever's next. And I and think that's almost a kind of a beautiful way of seeing death as well, oddly mm -hmm. enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. But, he, uh, this director likes to make us think. That's for sure. Yeah. Before we move away from the director uh, completely, um, Malcolm, did that voice in the dub sound familiar to you? And I guess I, I guess I can confirm I watched the newer dub because there's two dubs of this: a 2005 and a 2019 version. Um, I, I don't. I'll be honest. The shout. Uh, factory like TV dub. I don't know which dub I watched. So yeah, I we don't, don't know which know. dub because there's two and it wasn't very clear. Anyways, in the dub I watched in the 2019, I knew that voice sounded familiar. I just looked up the actor's name. That guy is Keith Silverstein, and he is also the voice of Robert E.O. Speedwagon. What? Speedwagon. 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 Speed wagon. Allow me to elucidate ya. The name is Robert E.O. Speedwagon. Alright, so for those just joining, uh, the Speedwagon is our favorite supporting character in the film or the anime or however, however you choose to define it. So, I'll go first. My Speedwagon is obviously Genya. Although, uh, I do want to give a runner-up to the... Um, to the, no, the former police runner-ups are allowed runner-ups are allowed it's fine <laughs> Form, the former policeman <laughs> has a really so has a, has a, about that you guys should have seen that well <laughs> i already talked enough about genya we we know genya is jack and jack is genya and genya this is it's obvious but i will say and he's the, not uh, exactly the, a side character i guess that's true too so you know what let's uh disqualify genya the speed wagon is the the military uh officer because mm. it's 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 a two scene character arc, you know what I mean? We see him in the beginning and we see him at the end, and it's beautiful and heartbreaking. Like I I think we already kind of touched on it, but I think that guy is a good solid speedwagon, a, a small character who who hits you in the feels. Mm -hmm. I hits you in the fifies. I feel ya in the fifies. Yeah. Um, so I'm gonna go next. Um, I have decided that oh Kyoji. Is my speed wagon? Yeah. Uh, are absolutely. I loved him. He was my favorite character. A legend. A legend in the flesh. <laughs> um, in the animation, I was. I was just. I was so happy to have his re just realism throughout all of it. Throughout all of the dramatics, because it was so deliciously dramatic. He was just kind of like, "What am I doing here? What's going on?" I was like, "Okay, good. This is good." So that is my speed wagon. He's the guy that keeps everything grounded. Yeah. Yeah. No. I like it. I like it. No. Well, if I can go next, my speed wagon would probably have to be Aiko, the uh, older actress. Because uh, without uh, Aiko's jealousy, without her kind of uh, stoking the fire of uh, Chiyoko's chase for this man, by uh, playing this trick with this fortune teller and sending her to Manchuria, by, um, you know, like... Um, messing around with her and her key and like you know kind of like poking at her about her chase with this guy 
um, Chiyoko wouldn't have kept going the way that she did, um, which was actually a huge contributor to, you know, her career and the entire plot. So Eiko kept it going for us and for Chiyoko, and I got to appreciate her for it. And even though she was doing it out of jealousy and uh, to try to knock Chiyoko off um, of, you know, the sets and her acting path and whatever, it really just backfired because it just made Chiyoko more passionate and made her bring more to her roles. So, um, oh, well, poor Eiko, but thanks for being a great speed wagon and chugging the story along. Yeah. Heck yeah. Fair. Well, I guess I'm going to go next. I think they've all been really good choices. Like, it's actually, like, this movie doesn't have a ton of, like, supporting characters. Like, it's it's very much, like, you know, you've got your sort of, you know, uh, Kyoko, or, yeah, Chiyoko. God, go. I'm yes. already butchering. There's a whole, there's going to be, like, a whole, like, uh, compilation of just me butchering every character's name and everything we've ever covered on this show. Um, that's in the uh, bonus material. Yes. Yeah, that's in the that'll that'll be in our like hundred episode retrospective. <laughs> it's just a super cut of me doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, anyways, uh, I actually I'm with uh, Lizzie on this one. Kyoji is my speed wagon. I think he's, he he's a good speed absolutely, wagon. Absolutely fantastic. He's like sure he's like around in like a lot of sequences, but it's not like he's the a focus in those scenes. He's just sort of there. He's obviously the cameraman. Uh, the a moment I really loved, like outside of just, you know, being honest was uh, there was the scene where like they're um, in one of the, uh, the movies and they're being attacked with all the flaming arrows. And then he's just standing over the camera and all the arrows just kind of go around him. He's just like on the wall and he's just yeah. like, ah, and he's like panicking. It's like the first time where it's like, he's actually bought into being in one of these like movies because before he's just sort of standing there and this time it's just like oh they all perfectly like surround his body whereas uh the other two are just like ducked and actually hiding like i know it's great (laughs) Mm -hmm. so i don't know like he had some comedic relief in a movie that's you know not very funny so uh yeah yeah, i've got to go with him also yeah he kind of just reminds me of every like like film like film like videographer that i've ever met who just like he's like yeah i love film and like you know but i film things and has like opinions but they don't really do much out, outside of that so mm-hmm. maybe it's a diss on those guys but i don't know i went to film school for a couple of years and uh those guys annoyed me so <laughs> yeah um but yeah that's my speed wagon so so I was looking this up on um, Rotten Tomatoes. There are four negative reviews of this film. <laughs> uh, yeah, one, re- um, Globe and Mail gave it a bad review. Um, I don't have the full review because it's from well, 2003. I can't, I'm, I'm sort of disappointed in our Canadian press at this moment. Our Canadian press fucked up. Um, this is the quote. Um, there's not a full review, but the quote is from, from Stephen Cole. I don't know if he still works there. Uh, frequently Probably a not. stone the print media is dying. Uh. Frequently a stone bore. That's what Stephen Cole said of uh, Millennium Actress. And um, what was it? Christopher Knoll of FilmCritic.com said it fails in one critical component. We are never made to care about the main character. And what? Jer- Jeremy what? Hellman said it would deserve credit for being more thematically ambitious than the average animated film if it incorporated any of those themes with aplomb. So, these guys suck. <laughs> so, these guys These guys suck. are Brother Bear stands. Uh, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> the Brother Bear stands. 
They must that, be. Just I guess they just, um, none of them just related to a female main character that has some kind of uh, dream that she passionately chases. Okay. It was 2003 and all yeah. critics were white and male at the time. So that there you go. Yeah. They also <laughs> have the very like, they're all like white male names. Like it's just like Jeremy, Steve, Steven. and David. They all hate. <laughs> Steven sitting movie. there watching this like this is so boring. <laughs> the um the like, only put full back review, on Brother Bear. The the only full review I could find, he's mostly just like complaining about how like this film would have been he says like perfect blue, this film would have been better in live action. And it's like fuck you. That is so not true. You can't do this shit in live action. No. Yeah, you Listen, we don't need to we, give Darren Aronofsky more ideas. <laughs> Darren, Darren Aronofsky already tried it. He already tried doing these movies in live action and Christopher Nolan. So, and you know, we'll see well, how I we feel about Africa. I think they did Africa. pretty well, but it's Oh really yeah, I'm not going to call same. Inception a bad movie. But yeah, mm -hmm. they're doing the the use of color and etc. But yeah, there there have been riffs on that. So, screw you. Anyways, final thoughts, folks. Let's get into final thoughts. All right, I guess I'm starting. This film's fucking awesome. I was really excited to cover it. I'm fine. uh I, I'm going to rewatch it probably. My rental is 48 hours, so I'll probably watch it again uh, tomorrow, especially after um, listening to all you folks and your lovely um, kind of elaborations on what I missed. So, yeah, I think this film, is, you know, this film has layers like a, like any Satoshi Kone movie. You definitely need to see it more than once, more than twice. See it, see it mm. twice in a day and you'll get even even more because you'll just be ready for it. Uh, it's yeah. incredibly well edited, like. I, I love, again, I, I don't think we can, can say enough about how incredible his edits from reality to fiction and, and film. Like, that's definitely one of his um, tricks of the trade. And uh, mm -hmm. he, he handles them better than any other director. Just incredible animation that way and incredible directing. Mm -hmm. Genius. Yeah. It's funny because Roger Ebert, I read a Roger Ebert review. He didn't review this movie, but he reviewed Tokyo Godfathers. And he stated that um, the animation in, in Cone's films is more flat I, uh, compared to Ghibli films, at least. But I do also think that Cone is also using a significantly lower budget. This film only costs like $1.2 million. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's like trying to compare like, you know, a Pixar movie to something that's being produced like independently, like outside yeah. of all yeah. this stuff. It's like you can't really compare them because one's got, you know, $100 million behind it and ha they've been able to develop it over like five years where the other one is just like, we really like this script and we really believe in this guy, but we don't yeah. have... We only have a million dollars and we can't afford to pay anyone overtime. <laughs> that's exactly. Like, like we can't do crunch Cone time with everyone. That's the thing. Cone, the concept of this film started in 1998 and it uh, came out in 2001. So Cone is, you know, making films pretty, pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my final thoughts, if it was okay, but I go, go for it. Is that, um, yeah, it's a, it's a good film. It depressed me a little bit, not going to lie. But that's okay. Sometimes you need a little bit of de depressing. Just a little kick in the depression. A little bit of depressing, a little bit of stressy, you know. Um, <laughs> and um, but I, I'd say it's a good lesson on that. Uh, you can either take it two ways, which is which I think are both really important. Which is to let go. Sometimes is um, the best way to live your life. Uh, let go of things, and then also sometimes it's it's all about the journey, man. Um, not not necessarily where you get. Mm -hmm. um, so I th I think it's really good, actually, a really good lesson behind this this film. And, uh, 
it was beautifully done. So the, those are my the thoughts. True, the true millennium actress was the friends we made along the way. <laughs> Jack's just staring at us like, yeah, that's right. I'm, that's true. I'm trying to, but not uh, you, Alex, how did you uh, find it? Uh, well, I love the movie and uh, I relate to the whole thing of um, how we need some kind of passion to chase in our lives in order to keep us going. Um, for me, it's interesting the fact that it's titled Millennium Actress and the whole time her passion that she was chasing wasn't her acting career. She didn't give a shit about that, but it was just this uh, love, this fantasy of love that she was chasing. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, that's kind of my thoughts on that. I had other thoughts too, but they're gone. Yeah, I think for me, like, yeah, I think I think we are all in agreement uh, that this is a great movie. Like, this is really fantastic. I think, like, one uh, for me, like, with this podcast is being the guy who doesn't watch anime, who doesn't have all this knowledge and all this stuff. Like, this has been one of the great discoveries is, like, Cohn's work and, and his filmography. Uh, just, like, I loved Perfect Blue. I, people have asked me, like, they go, like, okay, what was one of the your favorite things you've watched on this podcast? And I think Perfect Blue has always has started being my answer. But I think Millennium Actress might take that spot now. Like, I think oh. these those two movies, as well as, like, Your Name, like, just have really, like, blown me away in terms of like oh like this like fits like stuff that i like to watch like that is not animated usually and like to have like something that is accessible but it's also like can only be made in this style like i think if you try to do a live action version of millennium actress unless you have like a hundred million dollar budget it's not gonna work the same way and it's like such a risk but it's like yeah you have this ability in animated uh, works to like yeah to do things that you just can't when you're doing in live it, action in yeah. live action like you know you don't have to worry about like oh god what's the cgi budget gonna be and like you know oh do we have to build all these sets for all these like crazy like flashbacks will people get that like you know that they're entering her like recollections of these stories and they're it's like it's kind of real but not real you don't have to worry about that you just kind of experience what this is and you know i went in only knowing that like i really loved perfect blue so i was just like mm -hmm. okay i knew this was going to be good but i was like you know i didn't want to have too much of high expectations but yeah it really oh. was great and i'm excited that you know now it's i'm saddened almost that we're you know i'm halfway through his like filmography there's only two mm -hmm. more after this. I guess. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Well, I. I guess if you're already that sad, we'll have to do Paranoia Agent at some point. And it is only 13 episodes, so that's probably doable for us on the podcast at some yeah, point. Wait for Paprika and Tokyo Godfathers. I got Tokyo say. Godfathers yeah. is such a joy. Yeah. Oh, I got my thought back. Um. So, <laughs> final thoughts, part two with Alexander Cole yes, and Lizzie Boys because she'll loop into this. Yes, I will. Uh. So the um. The interesting thing about Millennium Actress, that's uh, something that me and Lizzie witnessed, is um, you, you see how all these um, movies that she's in are running parallel with the own, her own theme of her life, which is like chasing this uh, fantasy of love or chasing this man. And uh, something that uh, me and Lizzie have noticed that I guess, I don't know if uh, Satoshi Kon is consciously capturing this in this kind of plot line is the fact that actors and actresses very often will get roles and will get parts that immediately reflect where they are at in their current life experience. It's incredibly fascinating. We're so often playing out what we're currently experiencing in whatever that we're cast in. 
It's pretty crazy. And you know what that ties back in? Therapy. It's another form of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't think we have much more to say, although we'll definitely have more to say about Cone um, for sure. And, you know, we'll, we'll see when that happens. We don't have a time frame. I think it's time to announce our next uh, show, though, and that is we're finally doing it. And not just doing it. We are uh, going back to our miniseries. We have not done a miniseries since uh, the Dragon Ball Z Saiyan Saga. There were many debates about which series to do a miniseries, including I really did want to do uh, the Frieza Saga. But we're not doing the Frieza Saga. Not yet. Uh, we are doing Cowboy Bebop. And so we're going to cover the first five episodes next week. Um, I've been listening to the soundtrack on Spotify to Cowboy Bebop for probably the last month and a half. I'm going to go on a walk and listen to it again. And yeah, it's going to be fantastic. So we're going to cover the first five episodes of Cowboy Bebop with a special guest uh, next week. And uh, might as well, because this podcast has already gone long enough. Um, we're not going to do uh, six weeks in a row of Cowboy Bebop. We're going to do a week of Cowboy Bebop, then a standalone, then week two of Cowboy Bebop, and then another standalone. Because I think Malcolm, I think during the Dragon Ball miniseries and even during the Pokemon miniseries we did, I think we, we don't want to run a risk of burnout. So, and also just for you, dear listener, if you don't like Cowboy Bebop and don't want to listen to us talk about it, um, don't worry, because you'll get, and you'll just only have to wait two, two more weeks uh, to hear a standalone anime. And then if you're, if you still want to listen to Cowboy Bebop, uh, you know, you know what I mean? I think I explained that well enough. So it's going to be a balance. We're, we're going to try that. And uh, hopefully uh, you guys, you listeners will really enjoy it. It's going to be six weeks, <laughs> six weeks of Bebop on top of that. Um, the live action show will probably be released around that time. We don't know because Netflix still hasn't given a trailer because Netflix likes to uh, be very last minute with release dates. Wait a heckin' second. There's a live action Cowboy Bebop, Jack? Yeah. with uh, it's it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I also drop knowledge about the, the Last of Us show that's shooting with Alex. So I'm just dropping knowledge all the time. Yeah, it uh, it's coming out um, this fall or might even be out for the listener uh, because we record these way in advance. Yeah, with uh, John Cho as Spike. And uh, it was supposed to come out like a year ago, but then John Cho broke his ankle. And then on top of that, the pandemic happened. John Cho. Oh, I, I, I relate to the ankle. Rough for John Cho. I relate. I relate to the ankle pain. Me and me and John Cho are brothers in ankle pain. So, yay. Some might say you are John Cho and John Cho is Jack Mack. Wow. So, I, I, I don't know about know? that. John, Jack's John, a white guy oh, okay. and John is... No, John, John, John Cho is a 49-year-old um, incredible Asian-American actor, uh, whereas I am a, an unsuccessful 30-year-old uh, white guy from Canada. So, But I don't, think a, I don't think he has a podcast, so I got that beat. I got, Woo! You got that going. I got that oh, going. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's going to be really fun. And I guess it's time to drop the socials. Uh, Lizzie, as we know, you can only be found on IMDb. Uh, that's, and I think you got Snapchat, but no one's going to, I'm not giving you those deets. I'm only, not sharing <laughs> Snapchat. No. All the listeners are like, but what's Lizzie's Snapchat? <laughs> I was shocked that you got Snapchat. I was shocked that you got Snapchat. I'm like, wait, Lizzie has Snapchat now? I know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Alex, where can people find you on the socials? Uh, so you can find me on Instagram at alexandra.cole. So that's A-L-E-K-S-A-N-D-R-A dot K-O-E-L. I also have a website, www.alexandracole.com, where you can uh, see my stuff and request acting coaching. I also have uh, IMDb. 
So follow me, connect with me. I like to talk to people. I have fun stories on Instagram. Check me out. Woo! Uh, you can find me at uh, OnlyRealJackM on Twitter and at JackIsJack on uh, Instagram. Um, my the, the second Jack in JackIsJack doesn't have a C. So if you've been trying to find me through that for the last like 30 episodes, um, I finally have administered a correction. But I think it's also in the show notes too. So we're good. Perfect. And uh, you can find me on Instagram at... Malcolm R.J. McLeod. Um, technically have that for Twitter as well. But as always, haven't updated my uh, Twitter. I uh, can't log into that account. Very frustrating uh, because I've been promoting it for weeks now. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, yeah, if you want to uh, follow the podcast, as always, uh, follow us at Is This Anime Pod on Instagram and Twitter. We're far more active on Instagram than we are on Twitter. But they're both active accounts. Uh, yeah, if you enjoyed this episode, yeah, please uh, give us some stars. Uh, rate this. Uh, leave a review. You know, word of mouth helps a small podcast like this out. And we've had a lot of, you know, great response so far. But, like, keep it coming out. Uh, yeah, it really does help. So if you have an opportunity, if you're listening to this on, like, Apple, uh, please just, yeah, give us some stars. Give us a review. It really does help. Uh, it helps the algorithm. Uh and we've got to praise the algorithm. Uh, anyways, uh, this has been Is This Anime? And uh, remember, uh, Brother Bear can go to hell. Yeah. Later, Power Bums. Mm-hmm.